0: Welcome to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our 19th episode, it's part one of a two-part series where I talk to Ro Stein, one half of the artistic duo Brandon Stein, who are responsible for Princeless, Raven, the Pirate Princess, and the upcoming Steve Rogers Captain America No. 10, and Champions Monsters Unleashed about animation, specifically Disney movies, of the late 80s and early 90s. Along the way, we'll discuss how comedic villains require extreme tonal shifts to die, the mystery that is the Black Cauldron and why it failed, and just exactly how many spikes Bart Simpson has. We'll finish the show with our signature cocktail and tell you how you can become a guest on The Math of You. We join this conversation already in progress. oh All right, Roso. for those who may not know you. Why don't you tell me who you are and what makes you a beautiful and unique snowflake?
1: <laughs> well, I am Rose Dine and I work with Ted Brandt. We like to say that we make up two halves of a complete cartoonist because we cannot do that by ourselves. We've been working on Pirate Princess written by Jeremy Whitley for the past couple of years, but we've left that now and we are currently have some work coming out shortly for Marvel. The uh, Champions MU, Monsters Unleashed tie-in, and I think it's issue 10 of the Steve Rogers' Captain America book. We've done half of that. That is what we have coming out soon.
0: Excellent. It's very exciting stuff. And in preparation for this, I did go and have a look through Princeless and Raven the Pirate Princess. And ah. I, I didn't know that book had so many volumes. Like, I... I remember thinking, like, oh, <laughs> yes, and hearing about, about Prince list and, and, you know, oh, yeah, it's an ongoing, and that's great. And then I went to Comixology, and I swear I needed to draw, like, some sort of kind of table or user whiteboard with arrows to eventually work out, okay, and that, okay, it spun off there, and then it kept going, and it was linking up with, oh, wow, there's a lot so
1: it's... yeah there is it can be even more confusing because sometimes there's slight errors like on the spines so some of them are misnumbered so I feel really sorry for new readers who are going into a bookshop and trying to figure out which order to read things in because <laughs> you know how sometimes you can just There could be printing errors and stuff. It's like, oh no, which one's number two? Is it this one or this one?
0: And then you open it and you realize, oh no, you get about maybe four pages in and go, no, something's happened. Something's happened that I don't know
1: about. (laughs) Definitely.
0: It's like when you accidentally skip to the next DVD in a box set and then you go, yeah. Wait, no, that, oh wait, that guy's dead. Oh no, no, I (laughs) I missed one. (laughs) Dang it. So, Ro, let's start with the basics. Where did you grow up?
1: I grew up in the northwest of England, about an hour away from, from both Liverpool and Manchester, so I was kind of stuck in the middle where nothing happened.
0: <laughs> it was too far away from anywhere. So you were in one of the between spaces?
1: Yeah. It was like half an hour to forty minutes away
0: from the nearest cinema. Oh wow. Okay. So
1: yeah, it was like there's nothing going on here. <laughs>
0: Yeah, see, I'm looking on the map, and you're, wow, there's not a lot. No! Where specifically, if you don't mind me asking?
1: A place called Skelmersdale.
0: Ah, okay, first, that's an excellent name.
1: Yes, the locals call it Skem, which is a lovely sounding name.
0: (laughs) Oh, and I love that the the next place over is Upholland.
1: I also lived in there uh, for (laughs) a while, because we had to move in with my granddad when he had an accident and stuff. So I I spent half my childhood in Skem and half Mm. in Upholland it was only when I was about 21 that I realized that Holland actually had a duck pond somewhere because I did not get out much as a child. I was like, oh, we have ducks. I did not know this.
0: See, and, and all that time you could have had ducks. Yeah. D- ducks were within your grasp. Although don't grasp a duck, <laughs> that usually ends badly.
1: Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think they would probably be quite difficult to catch as well.
0: Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I am not the most athletic person (laughs) and I don't think I'd be able to deal with something flying at my head. (laughs) I I get freaked out enough when a bee goes past.
0: Yes, I have a a history of when I was at university. I I don't trust birds for the most part. They move too quickly Mm. for me. And there was a particular situation where I I was on a, a date with a girl and went to her house and... She, like, I I looked up and I'm like, oh, you have a bird. And it was like a little cockatoo. She kind of held up her hand behind me and I didn't see that. All I saw was the bird flying directly at my head. Oh, no. I was not as graceful as I probably thought I was. And just (laughs) sort of thrashed and leaned back and caught myself with one hand and saw the bird land gently Uh. on her hand. And yeah, they were... All illusion of, of coolness was gone.
1: Uh, I don't think you can trust anything that sees the world at like sixty-eight frames per second or more. Oh, they wow. have incredibly, they have incredibly insane eyesight. So everything that we see is basically slow motion to them. That's why you see them in the road. They're just basically they are literally playing chicken. And you're like, yeah <laughs> you're nowhere near me. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just fly up when you're like when you're closer.
0: Yeah, He's look, I, I got time. I'll wait. Yeah, i like move, yeah. move move but I'm going to hit you no no, you're not it's it's okay
1: (laughs) they know better
0: in Australia in addition to seagulls and pigeons and other such city birds we also get ibises which are about anywhere from 60 to 90 centimeters tall and have these weird black (laughs) naked necks and these like scissor beaks but they'll act like seagulls or pigeons in that if you're eating chips or something, they will come up and try and scab some off you. Except for- Oh my
1: god, that's a nightmare.
0: You'll be holding a chip and they'll do this weird sideways motion, like they're going to take your finger off and it's, it's terrifying. Mm. They're referred to as bin chickens because <laughs> they will jump up onto your wheelie bins and they will sort of pry up the top and go digging in your rubbish. Eesh. It's It's terrifying.
1: Yeah. You do not want to have to chase that away with a broom. <laughs>
0: I'm actually, just for the fun of it, I'm going to find a picture of an Australian ibis and I'm going to put it in the chat just so I can get another reaction here. There we are. Ah, looking appropriately terrifying. Good work, Lucas.
1: Loading, Load. Wow! <laughs> I was, that. that's yeah. a terrifying beak.
0: <laughs> it certainly is. <laughs> and yeah, they travel in packs and they're, <laughs> <laughs> they're an occupational hazard of living in Sydney. Uh. So thank you, everyone, for joining us for uh, Bird Hour. (laughs) (laughs) But we can come back. So you spoke a little bit about it, but what what sort of kid were you growing up?
1: I was incredibly quiet and did not talk to anyone, really, and just watched a lot of TV and films. (laughs) Well, animated films. I have not watched many films at all because Ted was kind of ashamed of me for not seeing Jurassic Park before I was in my 20s. -hmm. So... Yeah, I had a very specific film set I watched.
0: Okay, so what sort of things were in the lexicon?
1: Mostly Disney films, some weird like off-brand animation stuff that I can't actually remember the name for. But it had characters like there was this is a human character who was called Petunia Piglet.
0: <laughs> okay. And
1: stuff, and she was a, she was like the daughter of a governor and things like that. And it's just there it was some weird stuff I watched, but I can't remember specifics other than we, little snippets like that. <laughs>
0: That's the thing. I, I think at a certain point, you have to realize that everyone has their particular blind spots when it comes to media. There are certain people will be horrified to find out that I didn't watch The Goonies until I was 32. and whereas I still people, haven't seen that. It's okay. It doesn't really hold up. Although, uh, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get crucified for that. It, it, it's, <laughs> no, it's okay. It, it's extremely dated. And the thing is, it means a lot to a lot of people purely for the mm. age they were when they saw it.
1: Yeah, I think it's, like, I've heard a lot of people saying stuff, like, about Stranger Things, saying mm-hmm. that, oh, it's fantastic, it's got all this nostalgia, and it's like, I tried watching it, it's like, I I don't have any frame of reference, <laughs> so I don't have that nostalgia, so it just seems a bit, uh, I, I don't know, it, it doesn't hold the same affection for that style of, like, I'm not even sure what it is that they're saying as the nostalgia, it's like,
0: and... Well, what I heard around Stranger Things is that depending on which storyline you were in, like the little kids were in a movie like E.T. or The Goonies or something. Mm. And the adults were in a Stephen King novel. And right. the teenagers were in a John Carpenter movie like Halloween or something. And right. so, but all those things were then combined into a single thing. And it was interesting. I was wondering actually what how that would work to someone who didn't have those reference points whether it was Danny so i guess i got my answer
1: yeah it's like cuz i don't think i've seen anything you just mentioned i've seen bits of et but never the whole thing i think and so it's just, i i kind of watch it and it's like uh, just a big question mark of i get people are liking this but i don't know why
0: mm-hmm. entirely <laughs> a few years back i was on another podcast and for a particular episode we did our pop cultural blind spots and one of the my, my friend Jen watched E.T. for the first time. And yeah, like, I remember that I used to always get bored and turn it off partway through when I was a kid. And yeah, that movie's <laughs> t- got some terrifying stuff, and but also it's boring. So yeah. Uh, whereas I instead got to get into Doctor Who for the first time, which I'd managed ah. to completely miss by growing up in Canada. <laughs> and yes, what I then found out afterwards is that literally everyone has an opinion on Doctor Who and most of it's about stuff they don't like and if I don't know what it is it's just like mm. ah, oh okay you you don't like okay I've, I've never heard of that I don't I don't know what it is
1: <laughs> yeah I only started watching Doctor Who when it came back in 2005 so I don't I've not seen any of the old stuff mm-hmm. but I definitely have some opinions on the new stuff
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say yeah see whereas I found what I would do is I would watch an episode of the new one and then I would go on to a wiki and read all the references and go, oh, I see what they were doing there. And then, <laughs> and that was like the, the cheats way of doing it. Oh, yeah. What are some of your Doctor Who opinions, if you want to give us a few in a nutshell?
1: I wish there'd been more Eccleston. Because I enjoyed his performance. And I think I have more of a nostalgia for that. Because I was watching that when I was 15. I was like, oh, this is great. I've not seen anything like this before. It possibly isn't as good as some of the later episodes. But I still have a very much an affection for the first series of the new run. Though my favourite Doctor is Capaldi. Okay. Just because he's just so grumpy. <laughs> and <laughs> it's amazing. I, I do like a Doctor. Because at first I really liked Matt Smith. But then the way he was written became... I don't like the arrogance mm-hmm. that came with both Tennant and Smith because it was that kind of arrogance that you're still pushing for, I'm the best and all that kind of thing without there being a note of, I'm still flawed. Whereas with Capaldi, you feel like, I know I'm kind of terrible, I'm going to be grumpy about it, but I'm still the smartest person in the room <laughs> kind of
0: thing. Yeah, I-, I remembered liking that because for a while, kind of, Tennant was my choice but you're right, and especially in the later bits of the season, the sort of the, the arrogance of the character became huge, and it was um, oh yeah oh god, there was even a name for it, and I'm blanking on it now. It was after he came back from Mars, and it's the I can do it, I can save mm. everybody, I can I always win, and it came back to yeah. like like then there was like three episodes of watch the doctor be punished for his choices, and it's like oh yeah. oh wow, like yeah, a dark in a hurry.
1: Oh yeah, No, <laughs> yeah, that was quite. But I preferred the dark bit to the weird Tinkerbell Jesus from season three.
0: (laughs) I'd forgotten about that.
1: That was was so weird. He is literally Peter Panning it here. He is (laughs) floating and glowing and everyone is praying to him. And where did the cage go? Seriously, what happened there? I would have found it so much better if he'd... Going back to normal and still been stuck inside the cage. Not great for the storytelling aspect, I'm sure, but it would have been funny.
0: (laughs) So coming back around to the stuff you were watching when you were young, what particular Disney films were sort of on the menu? Which ones were the ones you returned to on the regular?
1: When I was about four, I was pretty obsessed with The Little Mermaid. And I think he might have just been because her hair was so red. She was the only only Disney princess I've ever had a doll of. And I remember it. It was one of those ones that was kind of like a Barbie doll. Mm-hmm. But it had like this slip-on tail thing that you could take on and off. That was like this shiny...
0: Sort of a sleeve that would fit over the legs?
1: Yeah. Yeah, with a little bit of Velcro at the back to just stick it... Make sure it didn't fall off. Because <laughs> so I remember playing with her so much that her hair went really weird and kind of oh, no. oddly kinky and stuff. It's like, this is an Ariel. What's going on? I <laughs> mean, that was the only Disney princess doll I ever had. Okay. Cause I, and I took her around everywhere, probably <laughs> dragging her on the floor, which is probably where the hair went
0: weird. I was going to say, yeah, I can see there's a bit of a, a causal relationship there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I still think Little Mermaid is one of those Disney movies where I think the songs have imprinted in me to the point where I honestly think I may not have watched the entirety of that movie in God maybe eight or nine years. Yeah, where I've actually sat down and watched it from beginning to end. But when like someone will say something and it will lead into like someone will say, "Look at this stuff," and I was just yeah, I, I can't Isn't it neat? exactly yeah, you can't not. It's it's like literally matched with someone walking into a meeting in my office and telling me, "Let's get down to business," and I I'm just like. <laughs> <laughs> like my two nails two go in the hands. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm like, I can't, I can't, I can't do it. I have to maintain professional respectability and I cannot start singing. <laughs> no. I can't start singing like Donnie Osmond. Or, you know, no. it, unexpectedly, Jackie Chan. Jackie Chan sung that song. I had it on the DVD of, <laughs> of Mulan. he's sung it in, in Cantonese. <laughs> And, oh, wow. and did like the staff fighting that Shang does in the movie where he they throw stuff at him and he knocks it away with his staff. He does, oh, that's Jackie amazing. Chan actually does that.
1: That's fantastic.
0: Yep, yeah, unexpected call. So what do you think <laughs> what it was it about The Little Mermaid that really captured your attention? Was it just that you were like right at the right age or was it something about the, the story itself?
1: I think it helped that it came out the year before I was born. So it was possibly the first one that my mom put on for me to watch. Oh, okay. So so I'll, I'll probably just get plonked down in front of The Little Mermaid and it just kind of maybe brainwashed me into <laughs> wanting to be a mermaid for a while. So yeah, I think it was possibly an age thing because I watched it a few years ago, maybe five, six, and I know it didn't hold up in the same way as some of the other films because it doesn't have the same level of comedy as, say, The Lion King or any of the later ones.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: I was just really obsessed with it as... A kid. Also, recently I realized how dark it got at the end, because I think Eric is the only Disney prince that, oh, he's not the only one that killed the bad guy, because didn't Prince Philip? Yeah, Prince Philip killed Maleficent when she was a yes. dragon
0: by throwing that sword. The Reveille size changing sword.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Shh, animation details. <laughs> you have to be able to see it.
0: That's true, yeah.
1: You just, you just see this little speck. Like he's like throwing a toothpick. I was about like, to say, yeah. Yeah, it, does,
0: it does take the, the wind out of your villain's sails to have them killed by a toothpick.
1: Yeah, that'd have to be a really accurate, hard throw. Just right through
0: one of those bullseye toothpicks that like ricochets around and like goes down someone's throat.
1: <laughs> yeah, just pierces lots of things. <laughs> they deflate.
0: Yeah, but I think because you're you're right, Eric killing, uh so sort of running the ship into into Ursula. It's pretty gruesome.
1: That was a horrific. Death. Yeah, that's a horrific death because they've got her wailing and that some of the, that really freaky voice when she's so large. Mm-hmm. And it's, oh, I'm surprised I didn't have nightmares about that because that is actually pretty scary piece of animation this thing clawing at the air and being dragged down to the depths
0: yeah and even the setup to that scene where it's like it's not even that oh there's a challenge and they defeat the challenge and that's the end of the film if you think about it everything goes to hell before that happens oh yeah you know she takes triton's trident which is hard to say and (laughs) turns him into one of the little weird you know, squishy creatures yeah. that she keeps yeah, the, which is which is scary. What they even meant a be? Yeah, they were freaky designs. Which actually coming back to the 10th Doctor, didn't he turn into a little golem thing at one point in the Master yeah. Triple H or something? Yeah. Yeah, sorry, coming back to the least little He memory. still had arms. That's true. Uh, who made the suit for him? <laughs> cuz he wouldn't he
1: did not fit cuz he came out of that big enormous suit. So the Master at some point got someone to tailor him this tiny suit. Out of the out of the old suit. Just...
0: I can just see having a conversation with the seamstress, being like, "Look, it's. I know it's awkward, but it's just him. We don't want him. He's 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 running around naked. It's <laughs> it's really uncomfortable for everyone. I think it's for the best. Oh don't no, don't just make him a smock or anything. Make him a tiny replica of his own suit.
1: <laughs> You're gonna have to do that in seam.
0: Yeah, um, you know, brown, brown pinstripe, three buttons, converse. <laughs> just sort it out. Go to the kids' section.
1: Oh, the tiniest convert!
0: <laughs> I think we've gone far afield as oh. Little Mermaid. <laughs> but yes, it, oh. it was a, a very sort of scary moment in an otherwise lighthearted film. Yeah. And I, I, th- I wonder mm. because I think Ursula was one of those, like, one of the first villains around that time. Let me just quickly check the timeline here.
1: I know it was 1989 oh. for um, Little Mermaid.
0: I was seven years old. And here we go. What was just before it, though? I always forget. Because that's like the beginning uh, of that sort of renaissance. renaissance. Yeah. Yeah. Before Little Mermaid, oh. there was Oliver and Company. And before oh, that, God. <laughs> uh, Great Mouse Detective and Who Framed Roger Rabbit and The Black Cauldron. Yeah. So I think the... And my, my theory was Ursula was such a good villain that mm. they had to be... Because the thing is... Horror unfortunate souls is a great song. It's oh, so much song. fun. She's vamping, oh, yeah. and it's it's great. <laughs> and but it's a fun song. So it's like rather yeah. than oh, you know, I'm conjuring up you know demons from hell or whatever, like Ma- like Maleficent did. Instead, she's a fun villain. And so I think in order mm. to raise the stakes for the finale, it had to be right. We're putting everything to the heaviest it can be. We're gonna have you know, the king deposed, we're going to have Ariel
1: being zapped at in a tornado hole. Yeah,
0: and Eric that was, nearly drowning. That was creepy. And
1: uh-huh. all this
0: bad stuff happening. And so it's like that. So much bad stuff. Yeah, we're taking this funny villain and we're showing why she's the villain and why it's okay to end yeah. this movie that way. Because otherwise you end up with this thing where it's like, oh, I miss her. She was fun. And instead it's just like, oh, this is escalation at the end. That's my theory anyway. Mm. Oh, wow. And immediately yes. after that was rescuers down under. <laughs> 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 talk about a,
1: a switch yeah
0: and then beauty and the beast and then we're on the run that we're yeah. expecting so that yeah. was little mermaid i mean what else was on the shelf
1: when you were talking just then about the ones that were beforehand i i remember seeing the black cauldron which mm-hmm. was a disney flop but that was actually pretty creepy they basically had a character commit suicide to save people in that oh yes that that was that was a dark film, but also kind of crap.
0: Yeah. Did you read any of the Lloyd Alexander books?
1: No, I didn't. I didn't know that was a book.
0: It's a strange choice to make this one into a film because it's the second book in the series. It's, what? Uh, yeah. It, now, I spoke about this with a previous guest, Margaret Wilson, way back in episode one. Lloyd Alexander did a series that started with a book called The Book of Three and from there went to The Black Cauldron and... Oh, shoot. I forgot, oh yeah, it's Something of Lear and then Terran Wanderer and The High King. Or I think that's what they... Again, those last ones start to blur for me a little bit. But (laughs) they're a really interesting sort of Welsh-based fantasy series. But they're aimed at very Mm. young readers. So your hero is, you know, your assistant peak keeper. And his mentor is a wizard. And he meets a girl who's secretly a princess but is a thorn in his side. And stuff like that. So, But then the second book is, again, much darker. He goes... They basically go to war. And mm. the end of the book is it's not uh, Gergi, the fun sidekick, who commits suicide. It's uh, sort of the arrogant jerk who's been along with them, and has been just a pain for everyone, and is the worst and only thinks about himself. And literally commits a selfless act, selfless act and dies, and that and dies for good in order to break the cauldron. Right. And I remember like watching the film much later because it, it didn't get much of a release in Canada when I was a kid and being like, okay, I see what you're doing with this. And there's there's stuff like, there's some of the very first computer-generated animation with the smoke around the cauldron. Mm. And the Horn King is a really scary villain. Yeah. But, yeah. And and you've got the cauldron yeah. born just being these, like, unstoppable rotoscoped zombies. But you're right. It, I don't think it quite hit because it's trying to do too much.
1: It was an odd meshing of the things. It didn't quite click together.
0: Yeah. Even in that famously conflicted Era of Disney stuff. It just seems like a strange choice to make
1: when you compare that to like Oliver and Company, that or the Great Mouse Detective. They it's it's got it's a bit tonally different.
0: Oh, completely. <laughs> and at least those have an elevator pitch that kind of makes sense. Mm. You know, it's Oliver Twist, but they're cats and dogs. Yeah, it's uh, Sherlock Holmes, but it's rats and. Mice. But he's a mouse. Yeah, yeah. I think the only one they've tried before that that had such a big high concept, that was so different, was the Rescuers. I mean. You know, a secret mouse organization that rescues children in need.
1: <laughs> yeah, but you can sum it up in one sentence. How do you sum up the Black Cauldron in one sentence? <laughs> well, that version
0: of the Black Cauldron in one sentence. Yeah, you can't really. It's like, well, there's magic, and there's a guy who's... Well, he, well, he keeps this pig, and the pig's intelligent, and it's named Henwin. And it's like, you're already <laughs> lost.
1: What? <laughs> yeah, too many threads.
0: Yeah, too many. And now I'm thinking back, and I remember because... I I read the first book in that series first, and then much later read the rest of it. And the second book, The Black Cauldron, that I had, had the Disney cover on the front. And and it was the first time I'd ever seen it. And I went, holy crap, they made a Disney movie out of this?
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a bit of a... it, It doesn't really feel like a film that should be animated.
0: Yeah, although I imagine they would have trouble doing the special effects in live action. Yeah. It would be, you know, Hawk the Slayer or Krull or something. Mm. So what else was on the shelf?
1: Big fan of The Lion King and Aladdin. Mm-hmm. Basically, most of the Disney Renaissance, was like, oh, yay. <laughs> Fun music and pretty cartoons.
0: <laughs> I think another thing, like thinking of The Little Mermaid and its kind of place in the pantheon, is even with the, like, the Blu-ray remaster, it's not quite as pretty or as fluid as even Beauty and the Beast, which is only, um, what, mm. two years later. Yeah. And like so many strides had been made since then.
1: Oh, so many!
0: And then you get to Aladdin, and Aladdin's gorgeous.
1: Yeah, I just keep thinking of a bit of animation where they're trying to escape the the cave, and you've got all this stuff moving past, and it's a close up of Aladdin's face, and it's just this really terrified expression, and you just see everything zooming past. And I just, I really love that mm. shot for some reason. It's like this really still bit with the hair going everywhere.
0: Yeah, and, and so and so just... much is happening in that frame. And yet it doesn't feel chaotic. It only feels rushed in the way that it's it's tense, but it doesn't Mm. feel like sloppy or anything. No. When it could have easily been a spot where they could have reused cells or just repeated the same couple things flying past. Yeah. Yeah, it's very cool. There was a few movies where around that time, I think it would have been, yeah, 93 or 94, where McDonald's had a promotion where if you bought a, like, you know, your meal or whatever, and you could get a VHS tape of four movies. Like, there there were four different movies you could choose from, and it would be, like, for $5. Oh, wow. And because where my dad worked was directly next to a McDonald's, anytime anyone from the place would go over there, he would just give them $5, and I ended up with all four, and it was, let me think, it was Jurassic Park, Wayne's World, Aladdin, and The Addams Family. And that's a that's a great collection. It's a pretty good primer, and because <laughs> yeah. I was, you know, I was a kid, so I I sat there and I watched those over and over and over and over again. And I think my my Aladdin one was the one to, that broke first because <laughs> it was it was the one where it's like I would just yeah. have it on all the time. Like you mentioned it earlier, where it's like the the uptick in humor. Yeah, I mean, it's not just Robin Williams as the genie. I mean, you've got Gilbert Gottfried as Iago. You've got Abu mm. giving the physical business. You like it's they're clearly heading in a different direction than they had before.
1: Yeah, because before it seemed like the stories seemed pretty sort of straight-man-ish. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, we're telling the story, we've got to make it as beautiful as we can and everything, without really thinking, let's make this funny. Let's make it so that the parents aren't going to be going, I've got to go take like my child to see this film, and I'm going to be bored out of my mind. So let's make it funny for more than just the children.
0: I mean, we could also get a little bit cynical and say well also they were competing with a lot of other things and Mm. children's attention spans were getting shorter and so they needed to put more into the films yes like I think I went back and watched Cinderella a couple of years ago and like there's the scenes between I I forget who even who the secondary character was like the king and his like advisor these endless scenes where it's like they're they're chasing each other around while giving exposition Mm. and there's an extended bit of business involving a cigar getting cut in half with a sword which is terrifying to look at now as an adult
1: yeah (laughs) oh so dangerous
0: yeah and i'm just like sitting there like what would i as a as a kid would have thought of this and the answer was well i probably would have gotten up to get a snack at this point Mm. but yeah so so movies like aladdin work to keep your attention
1: Yes, because yeah, attention spans have. I think, I think it's partly because when the first films were being made, it's like no one had really seen that much animation. So it's like, yeah, let's put this on people and be like, ooh, animation. It doesn't matter what we're actually animating at this point, they're going to be watching it. Mm-hmm. It's kind of by the 90s, it's like, eh, we've, we've seen animation. Animation's been around for ages now. <laughs> Give us more actual things that they're doing. That a part of the story or or funny.
0: Yeah. And I I feel like I feel like there there could be a think piece or a thesis or something written on shooting animated movies as if they were live action, like shooting Aladdin like an adventure movie or shooting some bits of it like, you know, like a romantic comedy rather than having just a static shot being like, you Mm. know, shot reverse shot conversational. And then you have stuff like One Jump through the market in Agrabah, which is, again, chaotic and funny and complicated, mm. which could have easily been like just this sort of crowd song that happens in one location. But instead, it's this like frenetic running around, moving quickly, lots of different parts that really is showing the difference in the styles of the time.
1: I bet the storyboard artists had fun with that.
0: <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah. Uh, how weird can we get this I was like, let's, yeah. let's get him um, picked up by this giant woman with this really weird voice
0: <laughs> and sung to by her and, and yeah we want, we want not just him to slide down the clothesline but everyone to slide down a clothesline and then get stuck and then bounce yeah. back and <laughs> <laughs> animation so fun <laughs> so in, in your work as a comics artist I mean was sort of your interest in animation do that sort of dovetail with that or, or were they separate interests entirely? I
1: was initially going to be an animator Because I I first went to university to do animation, but then I realised how much drawing you have to do for so little bits of the story. Mm Because I wanted to tell the story rather than just draw someone walking in and out of shot. And that would be five months' work or something. (laughs) I've not really pay attention to time frame it depends on how <laughs> how really detailed about it you're gonna be but that's how how it felt like it would be when i was on the course yes yeah, so many frames uh, so little progression so i saw about storyboarding and i was wondering if i could do that but the course i was on itself was kind of it wasn't speaking to me mm-hmm So I decided to find another course to go on, and that's when I found the illustration for graphic novels. And I was like, oh, that's kind of like storyboarding. I'll go and do that. (laughs) So I transferred to the other university, and that's when I just started getting into drawing comics. And where also where I met Ted, (laughs) (laughs) which kind of lucky, really, because I don't think I don't think either of us would have come this far without the other one. That's nice. Because we tend to push each other Mm -hmm. because it's tiring work. And sometimes you can either lose enthusiasm or just get tired and your stamina runs down. But then if the other one pushing, you saying, yeah, you can do this. (laughs) We need to do this. (laughs) (laughs) We've got a deadline. But yeah. I think moving universities was one of the best choices I've ever made in my life, really.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean, I think if at a certain point, the program, like you said, it isn't speaking to you. And especially when you're at that stage where you're like, okay, this is vocational. This is meant to be putting me into something that I will do theoretically for the rest of my life. Yeah. And and you start asking those questions of, do I actually want to do this particular thing? Mm. And I, I find it really interesting that when you were saying... That you didn't just want to be doing the technical work. You know, the 24 fill-in frames in between this and that. But you actually wanted to be essentially directing. You wanted to be driving the story. Yeah. And it's really interesting.
1: I think it also helped that there's very little 2D animation coming around at the moment. And I was completely hopeless at 3D modeling. <laughs>
0: it's
1: like, no, that ain't happening. I cannot do this. <laughs> Where can I just draw...
0: Yeah, I'd imagine it would be like, a, like a just a completely different sort of skill set or frame of mind.
1: I remember trying to figure out how to use Maya or Mayo. I don't entirely know how people pronounce it.
0: That's okay. I don't know what it is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the main 3D modeling program. At least it was at the time. Pixar and Places, I think, were using to like make the characters and animate them. And I could not make a ball. I did not. I could not figure out what any of the tools did, let alone make something that looked like anything. Mm-hmm. The the whole 3D thinking of it, I just couldn't work out how to put it together in the slightest. I remember there was a class we had, we were trying to put stuff together on Maya, and the guy was trying to talk us through, but it wasn't very helpful. And I just had this notepad next to me, and I just kept drawing angry faces, (laughs) 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 and people like pulling their hair out and stuff like. I I don't I don't understand this in the slightest. So I just kept drawing angry people,
0: which led to your webcomic Angry Person.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I do enjoy drawing angry faces.
0: (laughs) There's always lots to do.
1: Yeah, there's one particular angry face I'm quite happy with. That's coming in the Captain America issue. Mm -hmm. We've got uh, right smack in the the middle of the face, in the middle of the page, a really big face that's just really angry, and yeah. That was a lot of fun to do.
0: <laughs> We'd we'll have to keep an eye out for this angry face.
1: I think you'll probably be able to tell which one I'm talking about, because it takes up quite a big amount of the page. Excellent.
0: Well, I was going to say, I mean, we do have a little bit of time left, and in your email you did say you also wanted to talk a bit about The Simpsons. So the floor is yours.
1: Well, I started watching The Simpsons when I was about seven, and I think that was... Because I drew a bit before then, but it was just doodling like... Weird little birds and things like that. And I was more drawing animals because of some of the Disney films and things mm-hmm. like Oliver and Company and stuff like that. When I first started watching The Simpsons, that's actually what started me drawing people. Oh, okay. Granted, they were yellow and kind of deformed, but <laughs> they were still people. I think that's the starting off point of me wanting to draw things other than cute puppies and stuff
0: and wanting to tell stories about, about people. I think it's interesting because oftentimes, and people will talk at length about you know, the importance of The Simpsons' writing and the power of that writer's room to bring ideas to animation and to, to television that had not been explored before. But you almost don't hear as much about the animation. And I think that's really interesting. The idea that it would go from there to alright, well, now I want to draw people.
1: So yeah, I kept drawing Bart Simpson a lot, (laughs) trying to figure out how to make it look like that. I remember getting a How to Draw the Simpsons book as well. Mm -hmm. It was like, hmm, tin can head. He has to to have nine spikes for his hair. (laughs) And being very...
0: His ear is a G.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And just, I drew so many... Bart Simpson's like Bart Simpson as like a beatnik poet and (laughs) because I also had the Bart Simpson's Guide to Life book which was I read a lot I remember there being one page in the book that I kept having to just skip past because it scared the crap out of me
0: oh no what was it
1: I think it was it was a it was like a zombie Santa Claus song okay but there was something about this guy that had bits falling off him, and there was illustrations as well. So, hold on a second, Ted's tell me what it is. But what is it? Flaky the leper. That was it. Sung oh, to the wow. tune of Jingle Bells, something like that. It was sung to the tune of a of a Christmas song, and it had this illustration of this guy with these bits falling off. And I just had to keep skipping past that page because it uh, it terrified me.
0: Ugh, how strange.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> L- luckily, Google is deserting me because I'm. I'd rather not see that. <laughs>
1: Flaky
0: the leper. What I had to. The thing is, though, it, it does make sense, though. I'd like to hear you describe it as, like, if you want to draw a person. Now, people are notoriously complex, as I'm sure you understand, having drawn them a lot. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, like, <laughs> even, like, the various times I have tried to teach myself to draw to varying degrees of success, most of them not a lot, <laughs> and going and looking okay and thinking, all right, I know how I will learn to draw this bit and repeating and repeating and repeating and you're like okay that's one angle of millions how would i Mm. make that different i think starting from something like the simpsons which has like you said a relatively simple and strict character model yeah it's always nine spikes you know it's always the g for the ear the upper lip is always longer than the bottom lip it's like like boiling it down to that i think would be yeah it makes sense that that would be sort of your gateway into drawing people i think it's really cool
1: Thank you. Yeah, it was uh, it was a lot of fun.
0: Plus, it gives you an excuse to watch lots of Simpsons. Oh yeah. <laughs> my parents saw a news report on the Simpsons and decided that we weren't allowed to watch it without watching it themselves. So, <laughs> like, uh, I would eventually go to friends' houses and watch episodes and fall over laughing. And finally, like years later, got my dad to watch one and he loved it and he thought it was so great and. But my sister still won't watch it. I'm like, you you know, you're like, she's going to be a parent herself now. And she still is <laughs> hanging on to this. No, The Simpsons is garbage. People shouldn't watch that. I'm like, Dad, who told you that? Watches The Simpsons and loves it. And it's still that, that idea buried itself so deeply in her. It's rooted. Yep. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm just looking at the time and I think we should probably be wrapping up. Okie dokie. So Ro, if people wanted to find your stuff on the internet, where would they go?
1: Possibly the easiest place to find me is on either Tumblr or Twitter. My Tumblr is UnassumingPumpkin dot <laughs> <laughs> Tumblr dot com. And my Twitter is at rosy Tinted Specs. Rosy like em Rosy Cheeks. shiny apple kind of rosy all one word or there's mine and Ted's website which does not get updated very often as I'm sure he informed you when he spoke to you Mm -hmm. the Brantonstein which is b-r-a-n-d-t a-n-d s-t-e-i-n dot com hold on yeah (laughs) yeah
0: I'm just looking at your tumblr now And I'm seeing a very happy Miles Morales face. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: And I'm seeing a very awesome Ultiman. So yeah, lots of good content here. (laughs) Many angry faces.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, thanks very much, Ro, for coming on to the show.
1: Thank you for having me on. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much to Rose Stein for her time. For our signature cocktail this week, Rose specifically requested one with a combination of whiskey and amaretto. I've been a fan of amaretto ever since I was drinking it in university. Admittedly, I was drinking it by mixing it with Coke because it tasted like Dr. Pepper. Uh, we all gotta start somewhere. And so I present the ninth spike. In a shaker full of ice, combine two ounces of bourbon, one ounce of amaretto, one ounce of simple syrup, one ounce of lime juice, half an ounce of orange juice, and a dash of cherry bitters. If you can't find cherry bitters near you, you can substitute a quarter ounce of cherry juice. Shake vigorously to combine and strain into a double old-fashioned glass. Add a large ice cube and top up with two ounces of ginger ale or spicy ginger beer as is your preference. Garnish with a maraschino cherry. Soothe your poor unfortunate soul with his tropical libation, and only steal what you can't afford. Enjoy! recorded in Leichhardt, New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown. New episodes are released every Wednesday evening, and if you'd like to be a guest on the show, simply send an email to themathofyou at gmail.com and tell us what you'd like to talk about. You can follow the show on Twitter at TheMathOfYou, and you can follow my wacky adventures at LokiFied, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-D, on Twitter and Instagram, or LokiFied82 on Snapchat. If you've got a few dollars and would like to directly support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Lokified. You can pledge as little as a dollar a month, or really as much as you want. That would be really great. In return, you get early access to episodes, some physical rewards, and I would really, really appreciate it. If you'd like to support the show non-monetarily, you can go to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating, or you can write a review, and I'll read it out on the show. Next week, it's part two of this series, where I'll talk to Ted Brandt, the other half of the artistic duo of Brandon Stein about tabletop RPGs and how scrumping is less fun when there are no apples, only angry livestock. Join me, won't you?
1: Wait, say something <laughs> interesting? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Not to put you on the spot or anything.
1: Oh. oh god my brain has gone completely blank is okay. I, I i am not the natural talker out of the two of us out of me and ted <laughs> normally i i'm i sit there smiling and nodding and ted can do all the talk
0: <laughs> look look it's a, it's a completely valid choice uh i respect that choice <laughs> Whereas I'm lucky in that um, I do very well around my friends and people I know well, and I can be very gregarious not going around those people, but oftentimes if you put me around enough strangers, I just clam up. Luckily, my girlfriend has a superpower, which I, I think she developed in her job because she worked in like media sales for like 10 years Ah. and so lots of talking to clients and talking to different teams and stuff and I swear Mm. I can throw her like a hand grenade into a room full of strangers and by the end of it she'll (laughs) know everyone's birthday she'll know where everyone grew up what they're studying you know what their secret passion is like she's told me things about friends that I've known for five years that I did not know wow (sighs) and I ask her I'm that like, sounds
1: like that sounds amazing
0: it's it's pretty good like it's it's one of those things where it's like I never worry bringing her to places with strangers like where like oh you know you won't know anyone there because I know she'll be okay <laughs> and, <it's>, and then <laughs> I get to learn stuff too secondhand which is nice
1: okay. yeah I could never do anything like that my short term memory is atrocious
0: oh yes well so bad you could do what my dad used to do and just assign everyone nicknames <laughs> so he didn't have to remember their name <laughs>
1: I might actually start doing that, because, <laughs> yeah, I still don't remember, I still can't tell some of Ted's friends apart without really <laughs> paying close attention, it's like, hmm, which one's that one? Because <laughs> he's got some that look really similar, and uh. I have to, I used to have to just tell them apart by their partners, because, like, I can't, I could just keep mixing them up
0: all day. It's it it terrible. It gets worse when you have friends who have similar names, uh, for example, uh, I know three Alexes, who are... Oh, God. <laughs> so I have my, my friend Alex Hardison, and I have my friend Alex Monique, who is the, the now husband of one of Kimiko's friends, and uh, <laughs> there's, there's too many. And <laughs> it's like, oh, is that, Al- Al- is that Alex with the glasses, or is that Alex with the beard, or is that Eloise's Alex?
1: <laughs> yeah, if we know, like, four or five Toms. Oh, wow. <laughs> So at some point we just started referring to them by their last names, because it was easier.
0: Yeah, and it gives a sort of a vintage, like, you know, back-at-school vibe.
1: <laughs> yes. Like, oh, uh, there's, oh, I can't think of it, like, Boffo or something. <laughs> I, I've just gone straight into, um, um Jeeves and Luster. <laughs>
0: <laughs> my, my father's family is from uh, French Canada, from Quebec. And Uh. because they're uh, all Roman Catholic, every kid has a variation of the same names. Like, I have four cousins, my Aunt Rita's boys, who are Mike, Bob, Pete, and Dan. Or or Pierre and Danielle and Robert and all that stuff. And to the point where you have differentiating nicknames. There's Fat Bob and Tall Bob and Skinny Bob and Dark Bob (laughs) and Blonde Bob. And because, yeah, everyone has a Bob. Everyone has a Mike. Unless there's a gym. (laughs) <laughs> it's just like the whole thing goes out the window yeah it's the it's the neck mag problem it's the not as big as medium sized jock but bigger than we jock jock <laughs>
1: yeah but... oh. Oh, it's I been a while since I said that out loud it's fun to say <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs>